Good evening and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. I am your host, Taiwana Wilson. A little bit about myself. I am your leadership maven, medical laboratory scientist by background, best-selling author, owner and chief leadership consultant at Trendy Elite Coaching and Consulting Services, executive director with the John Maxwell team, send out cars referral partner, and co-owner of Direct Impact Broadcasting. Before I bring on my special guest, I want to thank my March radio show sponsor, Mr. Martinez Wilson of Second Samuel Transport in Cincinnati, Ohio, making sure you get all of your Amazon packages on time. Also, thank you to my media mentors, Ms. Ashley Little and Ms. Kimberly McLemore of Talk Radio TV Network, LLP. Today, we have my special guest, friend, and mentor, Dr. Karen Bankston. Dr. Bankston, an adjunct professor in nursing, is the former executive director of the Child Poverty Collaborative in Cincinnati a collective impact organization designed to lead the community's planning and implementation of efforts to ameliorate poverty by providing guidance on public policy, employment, housing, transportation, education, and healthcare concerns. Previously, she held the role of Associate Dean of Clinical Practice, Partnership, and Community Engagement of the College of Nursing at the University of Cincinnati. In that role, she was responsible for developing and maintaining partnerships with nursing and other disciplines while engaging in community-based research focused on student and parental success in the urban core. Additionally, she is the president and CEO of KDB and Associates Consulting Service, a company she founded after completing five years as the senior vice president, CEO of the Drake Center Hospital, part of UC Health in Cincinnati. Dr. Bankston previously served as the Senior Vice President of External Affairs for the Health Alliance, responsible for local, state, and federal government relations, community relations, marketing, and public relations. She also served as the External Affairs Liaison to Neighborhood Councils, the Uptown Consortium, United Way, and other community agencies, and oversaw the Health Alliance Departments of Community Health and Diversity. Prior to that, Dr. Bankston held positions as Vice President of Operations, Chief Operating Officer and Vice President for Patient Care, Chief Nursing Officer at University Hospital in Cincinnati. She served as Associate Dean of Clinical Services and Clinical Assistant professor at the University of Cincinnati College of Nursing and Health. She also held nursing and nurse manager positions at Western Reserve Care System in Youngstown, Ohio. Dr. Bankston is currently a member of the boards of the Legal Aid Society of Greater Southwest Ohio, the Live Well Collaborative, and the Children's Home. In the past, she served on the boards of the United Way of Greater Cincinnati, the Urban League of Southwest Ohio, the Society of St. DePaul, the YWCA of Greater Cincinnati, to name a few. She has been involved in the Cincinnati USA Regional Chambers Agenda 360 Diverse by Design Committee, having served it as its chair. She played a role in getting legislation change for distribution of medication for the charitable pharmacy established by St. Vincent de Paul and was a member of its founding board. She is a founding chair and former member of the board of the Center for Closing the Health Gap and was responsible for the formation of this organization. Dr. Dr. Bankston has received numerous awards and honors, including the 2017 Cincinnati Woman of the Year, American Nurses Association, Mary Eliza Mahoney Award, University of Cincinnati Distinguished Alumni Award, Kent State University Professional Achievement Alumni Award, UC Cots Leadership Alumni Award, 
United Way James A. Hall Diversity Leadership Award, University of Cincinnati Linda Bates Parker Legacy Award, Corporate Woman of the Year from the U.S. Regional Chamber, Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, YWCA Career Woman of Achievement Award, Business Courier Healthcare Hero, Cincinnati Human Relations Pope Leadership Award, Girl Scouts Woman of Distinction, and Cincinnati YMCA Black Achiever. She is a member of Sigma Theta Tau, Delta Xi, International Nursing Honor Society, the Queen City, Ohio chapter of the Lynx Incorporated, and the Cincinnati alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. She is a graduate of Leadership Cincinnati, Class 27. Dr. Bankston earned an associate in applied science degree from Youngstown State University, a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and Master of Science in Nursing from Kent State University, and a doctoral PhD degree from the University of Cincinnati with a focus on administration and organizational behavior. Greetings, Dr. Bankston. How are you this evening? (laughs) You have made me tired. Uh, reading all that stuff, I just was thinking. I said, "No wonder I'm tired." You know, it's been a lot of uh, a lot of years. But uh, thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. I think it's important for our listener audience uh, to hear from such a distinguished leader uh, as yourself. Yes, I could have cut your bio, but you have done so much. Uh, and impacted the lives of of myself and a lot of women here in Cincinnati and across the globe. So I had to give you your respect and due diligence by highlighting all of your accomplishments. So So tell our listeners about your journey to leadership, and how did you get to where you are today, as you say, now tired? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's very very interesting um, because a lot of people, when they're young, um, as children, you know, the parents used to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up, little girl, little boy? What do you want to be? And um, when I would get asked that, question, I wanted to be a teacher. Now, I am um, old enough to where that was not an unusual response, because back in the 50s and the 60s, when I was a small child, um, women, uh, particularly African-American women, didn't have a lot of choices in terms of what you could be when you grow up. Having said that, I I give the props, if you will, uh, to my mom, who was a single mom and uh, growing up in, in Youngstown, Ohio, and to her sister, my aunt, Mary Sangster, who uh, played a significant role in my upbringing, and to my uncle, um, Harmon Jones Jr., who's who's now deceased, who also played a significant role in my life because my father wasn't a part of my life, and then my maternal grandparents, Harmon and Noby Jones. Um, why is that important to 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 put in the the story about my journey to leadership? It's because I I went through some good times, and I went through some not so good times. And because I believe that God places you where he needs you to be when he needs you to be there, I believe that every step was ordered in order for me to be able to accomplish the things that I've accomplished. I did not ever seek to be a a CEO. I wasn't looking to be a CEO. Someone saw something in me. And learning how to accept oneself, I've since learned, becomes a very important characteristic uh, when you want to go into leadership. You know, I say to my, my children now, of course, they're all, they're all adults and old and have kids themselves, um, you've got to stay focused and, and you've got to reflect and you've got to believe in yourself because the world is tough. And my mother and my grandparents and my aunt and my uncle, they all told me that. Life is tough. 
Life is hard, and it's not going to be easy. And and it wasn't. And in no way, form, or fashion was it easy. You got to think about, again, I grew up during the, the civil rights era. I was a teenager during that point in time, started college during that point in time, and started working right after the affirmative action laws went into effect. So a lot of the challenges that I faced during the educational process as well as the, the, my early career were fraught with having to really understand, you know, why people were relating to me the way that they were. So, so you know, for me, the journey has, uh, what, what, did the, what is that poem, has not been a crystal steer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I, I tell people that now what I say to them is know what you value and value what you know. You start early, um, if you're a parent, by infusing into your children the importance of having sound values. What do you believe in in terms of right and wrong, good and bad? How do you feel about life and death? How do you feel about people? And then you hold on to those things that you believe in because you'll be challenged along that pathway. And if you don't understand it while you're feeling good, when you're feeling bad, it's not, a, it's not a time to try to figure it out and because you want to be able to hold on to, to what it is that you believe in. That is excellent, Dr. Bankston. I, I, I stand by that as well. I, I love how you put that. Know what you value and value what you know even before you, accomplish, you get to a difficult decision. You're right, yeah. and chaos is not when you want to be trying to figure out where you stand on a particular issue. No, so, no yes. it's too late because we make, you know, you'll make a decision based on emotion, and you don't want to make the decision based on emotion. You want to make the decision based on what's, what's logical, what's wrong, what's, what's right, what's good, what's bad, uh, based on what you know about yourself and about the environment uh, that you are part of. You know, I say, I tell my students this all the time, context is everything. You know, we can, we can take a word and move it in a different environment, and the word can change its meaning. So, so we have to understand the context. And if you get yourself upset about everything that happens all the time, then, my goodness, you'll just be upset every day. I'd be upset every day. You know, right. people have told me over the years, you are always smiling. You're the smilingest boss I've ever had. I said, I'm a happy boss. Now, but don't mistake my smiling and happiness for weakness. I'm not weak. It's just that I refuse to allow myself to get caught up in the negativity of the world. I will deal with what needs to be dealt with. But other than that, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. You should too. We should be grateful to have a job, you know, and and take those those opportunities that create challenges for us as opportunities for growth and development. We can still get through it, right? doesn't mean that our life is going to end. And some of those things, perhaps we need to leave them alone and let them go. And that's right. And give yourself permission to say, you know what, that's not one of the values that I hold. I got to let it go. I got to let it go. And, I, you know, I had a, a young woman once, man, this has been years ago because I was still in Youngstown and uh, was managing a unit at one of the hospitals that I worked at and was sharing with her something like this. And, and I, my, I was probably I was probably 30 or I don't know, something like that because I, I became a manager at 27. And uh, she said, are you asking me to quit? <laughs> You know, I said, no, but I said, I'm not asking you to quit, but I'm asking you to reflect on what it is that you just said to me because I don't think that's what you meant, and is it, was it really that important? So, so you really, you know, we can't take all of our words back sometimes, you know, um, right. sometimes we say things and we don't mean them. So, so that's why it's important to, to know what you believe in and then value them so that when you do get – in a situation where things are are tough and hard, you don't start saying things that you can't take back or doing things that you can't take back. Right. I absolutely agree with that. 
And so, as we all know, leaders come from all different backgrounds with different strengths and different experiences. What strengths do you feel were important for you to thrive as a leader and create your seat at the table, even when there was nobody at the table that that looked like you or had the experience you had? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I know that's loaded. That's a loaded question. That's loaded. There are two, but you know what? It's interesting. There are two characteristics that I have that I that I know um, came from my family and my family upbringing, and my family that that are listening will say, "Yep." And then um, the one is that I like to talk, and almost everybody (laughs) in my family likes to talk. The other part of that talking is we like a good debate, and we all think we're smart. And to that end, um, when you can get a seat at the table, I share this with everyone, I believe it's important to not just be at the table, but to make sure that your presence is known. So, so the one characteristic is has to do with this talking. Now, I learned about that characteristic being important to my success, particularly when I was almost always the only person. If I wasn't the only woman, I was the only African American in the situation because that's just the way it was. Um. I learned that that characteristic was important to me uh, and for my leadership style when I, after I started working in the emergency department, I was an an emergency trauma nurse when I practiced nursing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is important about being an emergency room trauma nurse is you've got to be able to think on your feet, right? Because, you know, you don't know what's coming in. So you really have to know what, you know, you have to know a little bit about everything. And number two you have to be able to communicate effectively with a lot of different kinds of people, right? Because right. you don't know what's coming in, you don't know what's going to be wrong with them, and you don't know who they are and where they're, you know, where they're coming from or whatever. So I was able to hone that skill um, working in the ER. Subsequently, I am very comfortable with ambiguity. So I'm very comfortable with ambiguity. I'm very comfortable with... Um, looking at things, connecting the dots, and being able to articulate that so that other people could understand it and help them to be comfortable with being in that space. That characteristic, that ability to talk, think on my feet, and help others to be comfortable became a key strategy for me as a an African American female leader in healthcare. Because that that is what I had to do all the time. I had a a, a male white COO that said that he didn't know if I was even had my head screwed on right, you know, that I could have been crazy or something. Mm-hmm. So I you know, I'm thinking he thought I was getting ready to do the, the Hulu dance or something, you know, something from an African country or something to that effect. <laughs> And so what I learned from that is that, you know, I, that I had to overcompensate in some respects by by getting those who were not like me to get comfortable enough with me so that they could hear the message and not be so caught up in the messenger, this black woman sitting in front of them, that they could not respond effectively to what it was that we were going to be doing. So so that was a lot of my early journey was learning enough about myself so that I could retain my authenticity mm-hmm. about who I am and what I stand for to be able to do uh, what I just described, because I didn't want to lose myself in that. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Sometimes some of us get into 
to these positions and recognize that when you're at the table, you have to do this shifting, as I call it. You know, mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to, you know, code switch and, you know, all of those things that, that those of us who are African-American in a predominantly white environment have to do. I didn't want to lose me. I'm still me. Right. You know, when I, when I walk out of that environment and I go to my home where everybody does look like me, they don't want to hear me talking about that stuff. Okay? Right. <laughs> so, so I have to. And, and and I think, you know, particularly for young black leaders, you know, it does become um, uh, challenging. Even today, mm-hmm. even if it was really it was really tough back then, okay, you know. But it's even challenging. Unfortunately, it's even challenging today. You know, and the, the the part that's sad is that uh, we're still debating on how, you know how to wear your hair and all that kind of stuff. Well, back then there was no option to wear your hair straight. Right. You weren't getting the job, you know. And and I remember when I felt I had arrived enough that I could wear braids, and so I was wearing my braids and and had one of my colleagues, a white male, ask me, why did I have my hair like that? And I asked him back, why do you have your hair like you have your hair? (laughs) He was like, oh, I'm like, okay. You wear your hair like you wear your hair. I wear my hair like I wear my hair. But now by the time I had been able to do that, I had – I had attained enough credibility. Right. Authenticity and credibility go together. Enough credibility to be able to say that and not be at risk of losing anything that I had gained. Wow, that's powerful that, you know, those qualities or characteristics that you stated, you know, your ability to like to talk and using that as a strategy, being quick on your feet. And it's it's interesting where you said, you know, you help other people become comfortable, even though in those situations you were in an environment which was uncomfortable. I mean, that happens, as you said, for especially yeah. for us new leaders all the time or, or younger yeah. leaders that it, it's, it's crazy sometimes where you have to uh, make everybody feel comfortable and they are all alike and you're the one that's different, but you're the one making everybody feel comfortable or yeah. you're the one creating a fair, unbiased environment, even though the environment is not fair and unbiased towards you. So as a leader today, we we do have to overcompensate uh, for a lot of those things that are not uh, advantages or things that work in our favor. So that was powerful. That was powerful to me. Yeah, it's unfortunate that when I as I coach um, new leaders that those kinds of things are still going on, maybe not necessarily in the same way or the same vein that they were going on when I was coming along, but, this, but, the, but the challenges and the issues are still real, and people are still real. So there's still the need uh, to understand individuals in the context of what mm-hmm. it is that they believe. Knowing your own worldview, again, I cannot emphasize that enough. What you believe in and your values becomes so important in your journey uh, towards leadership. And the higher you go on the, on the ladder of, of responsibility and accountability, the more important that becomes. Absolutely. So, Dr. Bankston, you've experienced exponential success in your career over the past 40 years. I'm sure that success came with some mistakes and some failures along the way because failure and success goes hand in hand. Tell the listeners about one of your biggest learning lessons uh, and what did you gain from it, from, from your mistake or failure? Yeah, I made a few of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let me start. start, I'll do. I'll go through several generations of them. um, As I indicated, uh, I became a manager at 27, and when I got selected to manage a unit at a hospital, 
um, it was, quote, an affirmative action hire. So I was one of two managers out of about 75. Um, so there were people who worked for me that were older than me, and I had about 70 employees that, that worked for me, nurses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you when – you, um, back then, anyway, when you got selected, there wasn't like a training on how to be a manager. It's just that you were a good nurse. I was a very, very good nurse. I had worked in the, in the emergency room, as I shared. I was a good, a good thinker on my feet. I communicated well. You know, the whole thing about you are so articulate, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so I got selected. Well... I really didn't know what that meant, except in my head, my mother said that meant I was the boss. Okay, I'm the boss. That means you do what I tell you to do, right? Right. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> okay. So I went into this role with these people who were um, mostly white, mostly older than me, who were saying, who's this little kid coming in here trying to tell us what to do? (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was very traumatic. It was very, very traumatic because I really didn't understand. And there really, there weren't, um, there wasn't really any place to go because, of course, I didn't want to tell the person that hired me I didn't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they saw something in me I didn't see in in myself. Well, I've always been a voracious reader, and, you know, we didn't have these computers, and computers didn't exist yet. You know, but if there was was some way to find it in a book, I was going to find it. And so that's what I did. You know, I I got some of the early, early literature on what it meant to lead and how to manage and, and began to understand that, one, work gets done through people. All right, and that you don't do it all by yourself, which I knew that. Right. You know, you know, you kind of know that, but you don't really know that. Right. And that one of the ways that you get uh, the work done through people is by providing them with the resources and the direction that they need in order to do their work. All right. So I, I began to understand that it was going to require a different behavior from me than what I have previously been doing as a, quote, leader, an informal leader in the emergency department, which is where the, the vice president who placed me in this management role, that's what she saw, because I was leading uh, quality improvement circles and performance improvement circles and established a couple of protocols and, and things that someone who could potentially lead was doing, all right? Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> So I learned that you need others in order to get the work done, and you need others to understand what those boundaries were, and you needed to be uh, fair and consistent. And we were unionized, so the the staff uh, there were uh, represented by bargaining units. And I had been in the bargaining unit, so I knew how to access and navigate through those rules, but I wasn't clear yet about how to um, get those that perhaps weren't as enthusiastic about their work um, to get a little more enthusiastic. So I, I had to learn that. And, uh, you know, a couple of uh, grievances later, you know, I finally <laughs> got to a point where I was able to um, negotiate, if I could use that word, uh, in a way with my staff to really get them to understand why we were doing the things that we were doing and began to treat them as adults and not like children because that's, that's a part of it. I would say that the next big learning and mistake that I had was hiring people um, because they have education and degrees and experience. A lot of people do that. Right. right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I am not. I am not uh, in favor uh, after these things, after these hires, of just looking at standardized scores, degrees earned, 
um, and years of experience as the only criteria for which someone should be hired. I have had several hires, people that I hired into positions who had all the right credentials but were lousy employees. Mm -hmm. It's horrible, horrible. What do I mean when I say that? I'm sure they were good people. But they were not, um, not hold the same values um, to the extent that we were able to have them um, work with us to meet the needs of the people that we were serving. Now, you know, I, I hesitate to say in quotation marks, good fit in quotation marks, because right. we know that. <laughs> that whole notion of being a good fit is often used against us. Right. So, I, so I say to people, hire for values. Mm-hmm. Hire for values. And I share with people when they're going to interview, make sure that you have reviewed the, the mission and the vision and the values and the purposes, all those things of the organization. And if they don't talk about that during your interview, and, in, and when it's your turn to ask them questions and they're not aligned with what you believe, then that's not the place for you to work. You will be a miserable person. So it's so that we don't get into, well, they said I wasn't a good fit, and, and you mm-hmm. then begin to believe that it's for other reasons because truly there is something to be said about individuals who do not hold the same values as you are you know, when you're trying to drive a ship uh, in a certain direction and you bring somebody on your team who's trying to go in, a, in another direction. It just doesn't right. work. It just doesn't work, and that was a really bad, bad, bad. And my other, other um, major, for me anyway, that if I could do over again was here in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I was the CEO at Drake Center and uh, – I assumed responsibility for it when it was at its lowest. Uh, we were able to turn it around financially in about 18 months and started making, you know, significant amount of change. And, you know, it had been receiving uh, property tax dollars to provide the operating support for it. And I was seeing that uh, given some uh, strategic uh, uh, alliances, um, we would probably not need the, the those property taxes long term. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came time for renewal, I told the commissioners, you know, I don't think we're going to need that that tax levy, and it was probably too soon because mm-hmm. that that two years later we started losing again, and I was like, oh no, I should have said like wean us off, you know, wean us off, and I I did not anticipate the um, kind of changes that happened at the federal level related to um, uh, reimbursement to uh, long-term care, and uh, I should have paid closer attention to that, and that's probably one of the things that has hurt me the most about that, because we worked so hard to to really get into a different place, and, and then that happened. So what's the moral of all of it? It is back to the thing that I said at the very beginning, and that is know your values um, and be able to um, speak to them because they are uh, useful in every situation. Because, of course, when I made that decision uh, related to the, the, the tax levy and so forth and that, and then we started having those challenges, I had to you know, certainly say that, I was accountable for that decision. It was my decision, and uh, um, and my decision related to how to get us out of it. And you know, everyone doesn't like to do that. They were trying to find somebody else to to blame it on, but I couldn't do that. Wow, wow, that's definitely uh, definitely a, a, a learning lesson in that and and it happens it happens all all the time at all different levels where we make decisions uh with the information that we have at that time that's right. you know 
I mean, it, it's the same thing in laboratory medicine right now. Reimbursements have changed at the federal level, so we've had to make adjustments uh, to to compensate for what we are are getting paid, and and that results in millions of dollars, right. and that's why we're seeing a, a lot of laboratories at this point merging and, and some are closing and, and standardizing with other systems uh, just because, you know, sometimes you have to make a decision today not knowing what uh, tomorrow uh, will bring. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's, that's hard. And, you know, I'm a very transparent leader, so I help town hall meetings um, around the clock and speaking with you know, the staff to let them know here's what here's what's going on and here's what we know today um, and what the potential um, outcomes could be related to that. You know, you have to you have to know your values and be able to stand up to, to do that. It's an accountability factor. Got it. And this is a one thing I'm happy you talked about uh being the CEO of Drake Hospital, and I'm not sure if I've ever shared this with you or not, but when you first came into my life, you were the CEO of Drake Hospital, and I was just getting ready to take on my first management role. And Mm -hmm. for me to see you as an African-American woman leading a hospital, being in charge of a hospital, that let me know that I wasn't limited to staying in the lab or limited to what I was doing. At that same time that you were the CEO of Drake, Susan Croucher, a Caucasian woman, was the CEO of Christ Hospital. And by background, she was a medical laboratory scientist, being the CEO of a hospital. So for me, that was a turning point to let me know that the degree I had the people that I saw, the visuals that I saw let me know that I could be the president, I could be the CEO. And so I just wanted to let you know that that was instrumental in my life at that early oh. point of moving into management. Oh, well, thank you for, for, for telling me that and sharing that with me because I I try to share that with um, with others because, you know, again, I did not have that on my radar. I went to school to be a nurse. <laughs> you know, it was not on my radar um, at all. But I'll never forget when my boss um, came into my office, sat down at the table, and said, um, Karen, I think I'm going to place you out there at Drake Center. And I'm like, oh, no, you're not. Because I knew, <laughs> you know, I knew what was going on. And, and that is, no, I need you to be – I need you to go run it. I've made it, you know, we've made this uh, arrangement with the county because at the time it was owned by the county. And I said, why do I have to go? You know, (laughs) and God was saying at the same time, why not you? You know, why not you? And, And so I think that gets back to the whole notion of focus. You know, focus mm-hmm. and knowing and reflecting on yourself and, and allowing yourself to be open to the opportunities. You know, you have Absolutely. to be open to the opportunities because you just, you don't know. You really, right. really don't know. Even now, you know, with my, with my retirement, and don't say anything smart about that, but, <laughs> but even with me, with me, you know, I still allow myself to be open to the opportunities because I don't know. Not that I'm looking for any full-time employment, because I'm not. But, <laughs> but there are still there are still opportunities out there, and I don't think God is interested in me yet. So, so I still believe that everyone should remain um, steadfast in their ability to listen. Steadfast, absolutely in their to listen. Um, you'd be surprised what you what you will hear. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised what you will hear. Absolutely. So I know I get asked all the time, you know, especially from people that's looking to move into leadership roles. They're they're like, well, where do I find leadership experience, or how do I build my leadership toolbox? What advice would you give to an emerging leader, or even one looking to reinvent themselves on finding 
those leadership opportunities, especially if they are in just say a frontline position where they don't necessarily uh, get that documented uh, leadership experience on the job. Yes, this is very important. There are two places. One, let's talk first about what they need to do internal to their organization. So it's internal to their organization. Now, this this is the part that some folks don't pay enough attention to. First of all, know who the leaders are in the organization. Who's the CEO, COO, chief financial, all the kinds of people that are making decisions? Who makes decisions in the organization? Now, here's the other thing people don't always pay attention to. All the decisions aren't always made by the people who have the formal titles. So who are the informal decision makers in your organization? You want to try to pay attention to that. Then get your – this is where they have to begin to get focused. What are the opportunities that exist in the organization that one can get involved in? Are there committees that one could be involved in? Are there opportunities to assist in volunteering with the organization? Maybe the organization does something once or twice a year. Are they asking for someone to volunteer to lead something and you've got that experience? Um, you want to place yourself in a position where where one, you're getting some experience, you know, um, working as a part of a different team that may not be the team that you ordinarily work with, but two, to build some skills that you may not have. Um, most medium to large organizations also provide some type of ongoing education for their associates. Go to the extra uh, education. You know, people say, I don't want to, they don't want to pay me. But Okay, now, come on. Now, you can't have it all, you know, can't have it both ways. Sometimes you got to give up a little bit. There's a little bit of sacrifice as it relates to that. If they offer some free educational seminars for an hour or two or on your phone or laptop or whatever for an hour or two, try to get some of that. But begin to assume um, more uh, responsibility for yourself in terms of your ongoing learning, and it doesn't have to be going to get another degree necessarily, but just getting involved that way internally. Externally, volunteer. Find things that that drive you to get on fire and go and volunteer. If, you know, if you become the um, the person that is very good at teaching kids how to play basketball, that is an organizational skill, right? That's a leadership skill that is transferable to leading others in, in perhaps uh, in a different organizational structure. So if you're someone who's a good planner and you know how to uh, plan parties, go become the room mother at your child's school and plan the parties. And those skills are transferable. So we, look, we begin to look within and without you know, inside of our organizations, outside of our organizations, for those opportunities that allow us to enhance skills that we may already have or skills that we don't have but would like to have that do not um, get in the way of our being good at our work, okay, but will enhance our work long term. I always say to people, if there's a job that you want, then you got to start acting like you want the job, and you got to start being in the place where the person is at that can give you that job, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're an early careerist and you want to be a mid-level to an executive-level careerist and you, re and you recognize that the person that can give you that job reads the Wall Street Journal, what are you going to do? You're going to read the Wall Street Journal. You're going to read the Wall Street Journal. And when you see them coming down the hall and you're going to say good morning and you might bring up something that you just read, they're going to say good morning back. How you doing? And you're going to say, I'm fine. You know what? I, uh, I noticed that you read the, the uh, WSGA. I do too. Um, did you see this morning this and this was going on? Start a conversation. They'll remember that. They'll remember that. And so – so you utilize those kinds of strategies to help place you in a position where they won't forget you. 
That's makes awesome. That's excellent, excellent advice. Excellent. I have put a few more tools in my toolbox just listening to that. So I was reading a study in the 2017 Leaders and Daughters Cultivating the Next Generation Global Study. It stated that only 54% of women have access to senior mentors or informal sponsors during their careers. What part, if any, has having a senior mentor or informal sponsor played on your progression of your career? Huge. <laughs> Huge. Remember me saying um, I wasn't looking to be promoted. Someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Uh, when I first got promoted, it was the vice president for patient services um, at my hospital at home. Her name was Ruth Eldridge, and she promoted me twice. So I became the first director of nursing at Western Reserve, African-American director of nursing at, at Western Reserve Care System. And she followed me for years. She would want to know everything that I was doing, and she was so proud of, you know, all of the work that uh, that I did. And I called upon her a lot when I had questions about leadership and, and managing and some of the decision-making that I had to make because that, that during that time, particularly when I moved to Cincinnati, um, there was a lot of transitioning that needed to, to occur related to the profession, and I, uh, I wanted to help the staff here in Cincinnati make those transitions, and I used her a lot. Um, and then when I moved into my executive level roles, I cannot say enough for my sponsor, uh, Ken Hanover. Um, if it had not been for him um, believing in me based on my ability to talk well and to represent the the hospital and subsequently the, the system in spite of my blackness, in spite of my being a woman, I would not have attained any of the um, high-ranking roles that I had in the last a decade of my uh, my career. Uh, he's totally responsible for that, along with my being good. But you know, but um, but his belief in my um, in my abilities and his willingness, and I have to say this, his willingness to support me in environments uh, where um, he would be ridiculed for using having me there and him not being there himself uh, says a lot about who he was. Wow. Wow. Mentors have played a huge part uh, in my life as well as having those uh, sponsors. Some people don't realize being good isn't good enough. Being good no. doesn't get you in the room. <laughs> no. No, sometimes you got to have somebody help you get in the room. You know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, as I've, said, as I've shared with people who I've helped get in the room, now, like, if I use my clout to get you in the room, you better, you need to be all-star access. You know, I, I am very careful uh, who I facilitate getting in the room, and then I'm going to, I will support you uh, 120%, but you got to do your part. I, I've done that one time where I supported someone to get in the room and then they got lazy and didn't do, you know, and it was not good. You know, so I'm now very careful. I'm very careful if I, you know, because of my reputation. And, uh, and you know, you want to hold on to, to that as you build your brand. And, you know, I've got a good brand. Absolutely. I've definitely stood on your shoulders uh, many of times, and, and hopefully... You're allowed. You're... <laughs> well, thank you. So you share such a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you for hours, but unfortunately, we don't have hours to talk. So how can our listeners stay connected with you and support you in your efforts? I know that you run a girls program, and so you give back to the community. I know that you do so much. So how can the listeners stay connected with you and, and support you uh, in your endeavors? 
Well, they can follow me on Facebook. Um, I'm I'm KBB and Associates Consulting Services LLC. Um, they can follow me on Twitter at Dr. K ninety. And uh, I look forward to connecting. All right. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Any uh, tidbits of wisdom? You've dropped so many thus far, but any final tidbits of wisdom you want to share with them that they could use in their personal or professional life? I would just say that it is very important. I just cannot say enough how important it is to know what you value and value what you know. I would also say to your listeners that it is so important to have a spiritual life. I know that that means something different to to everyone. So whatever it is that they believe in in terms of that higher power that helps them to get day to day, you need that in order to help you to shoulder um, the weight of what it is that God has in store for you. I know had it not been for that, that lesson, that one other lesson that I got from my family, I would not be able to have done many of the things that I, you know, that I've done. You know, my mom and my grandfather and my uncle and my aunt always told us to look, look into the hills from which cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord. And so I know that that help is always there because he placed, He has placed me where he wanted me to be whenever he wanted me to be there, Just whether I wanted to be there or not. So knowing what you value and holding on to that, that faith allows us to open ourselves to the opportunities that come before us so that we can share what we know and then invite others into that circle so that they can do what they know so that we can help other people. And that's what it's all about. Outstanding, outstanding. Thank you so much, Dr. Bankston, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. As you say, retired, but you, you're busier than any full-time professional I know being retired uh, to give <laughs> me the opportunity to interview you today. It has definitely been an honor to have you as my guest. And like I said, I appreciate everything you've done for me in my life and many blessings and much success to you uh, on your journey and the next chapter. Thank, Thank you, you to. So much. Yes, yes. Thank you to the listener audience for tuning in to tonight's show with our special guest, Dr. Karen Bankston, where she shared with us many pearls of wisdom. Make sure you review the mission and values of organizations that you're interested in interviewing with. You need others to help get the work done. It's so important to have a spiritual life. Make sure that you stay focused and reflect often. Life is tough. Authenticity and credibility often goes hand in hand. Context is everything. Know what you value and value what you know. If you are interested in being a guest on the show or being a radio show sponsor, please email dibroadcasting, all one word, at T-R-E-N-D-Y-E-L-I-T-E-L-L-C.com. Again, that's dibroadcasting at trendyelitellc.com. Please tune in next week to hear from another amazing leader. Until then, my friends, have a good evening. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, where Taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.